Section 71 of Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Clevenger. Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant by Ulysses S. Grant. Conclusion the cause of the great war of the rebellion against the united states will have to be attributed to slavery for some years before the war began it was a trite saying among some politicians that a state half slave and half free cannot exist all must become slave or all free or the state will go down I took no part myself in such view of the case at the time, but since the war is over, reviewing the whole question, I have come to the conclusion that the saying is quite true. Slavery was an institution that required unusual guarantees for its security wherever it existed, and in a country like ours, where the larger portion of it was free territory inhabited by an intelligent and well-to-do population the people would naturally have but little sympathy with demands upon them for its protection hence the people of the south were dependent upon keeping control of the general government to secure the perpetuation of their favorite institution they were enabled to maintain this control long after the states where slavery existed had ceased to have the controlling power through the assistance they received from odd men here and there throughout the northern states they saw their power waning and this led them to encroach upon the prerogatives and independence of the northern states by enacting such laws as the fugitive slave law by this law every northern man was obliged when properly summoned to turn out and help apprehend the runaway slave of a southern man northern marshals became slave catchers and northern courts had to contribute to the support and protection of the institution this was a degradation which the north would not permit any longer than until they could get the power to expunge such laws from the statute books prior to the time of these encroachments the great majority of the people of the north had no particular quarrel with slavery so long as they were not forced to have it themselves but they were not willing to play the role of police for the south in the protection of this particular institution in the early days of the country before we had railroads telegraphs and steamboats in a word rapid transit of any sort the states were each almost a separate nationality at that time the subject of slavery caused but little or no disturbance to the public mind 
but the country grew rapid transit was established and trade and commerce between the states got to be so much greater than before that the power of the national government became more felt and recognized and therefore had to be enlisted in the cause of this institution it is probably well that we had the war when we did we are better off now than we would have been without it and have made more rapid progress than we otherwise should have made the civilized nations of europe have been stimulated into unusual activity so that commerce trade travel and through acquaintance among people of different nationalities has become common whereas before it was but the few who had ever had the privilege of going beyond the limits of their own country or who knew anything about other people then too our republican institutions were regarded as experiments up to the breaking out of the rebellion and monarchical europe generally believed that our republic was a rope of sand that would part the moment the slightest strain was brought upon it now it has shown itself capable of dealing with one of the greatest wars that was ever made and our people have proven themselves to be the most formidable in war of any nationality but this war was a fearful lesson and should teach us the necessity of avoiding wars in the future the conduct of some of the european states during our troubles shows the lack of conscience of communities where the responsibility does not come upon a single individual seeing a nation that extended from ocean to ocean embracing the better part of a continent growing as we were growing in population wealth and intelligence the european nations thought it would be well to give us a check we might possibly after a while threaten their peace or at least the perpetuity of their institutions hence england was constantly finding fault with the administration at washington because we were not able to keep up an effective blockade she also joined at first with france and spain in setting up an austrian prince upon the throne in mexico totally disregarding any rights or claims that mexico had of being treated as an independent power it is true they trumped up grievances as a pretext but they were only pretexts which can always be found when wanted mexico in her various revolutions had been unable to give that protection to the subjects of foreign nations which she would have liked to give and some of her revolutionary leaders had forced loans from them under pretense of protecting their citizens these nations seized upon mexico as a foothold for establishing a european monarchy upon our continent thus threatening our peace at home 
I myself regarded this as a direct act of war against the United States by the powers engaged, and supposed, as a matter of course, that the United States would treat it as such when their hands were free to strike. I often spoke of the matter to Mr. Lincoln and the Secretary of War, but never heard any special views from them to enable me to judge what they thought or felt about it. I inferred that they felt a good deal as I did, but were unwilling to commit themselves while we had our own troubles upon our hands. All of the powers except France very soon withdrew from the armed intervention for the establishment of an Austrian prince upon the throne of Mexico. But the governing people of these countries continued to the close of the war to throw obstacles in our way. After the surrender of Lee, therefore, entertaining the opinion here expressed, I sent Sheridan with a corps to the Rio Grande to have him where he might aid Juarez in expelling the French from Mexico. These troops got off before they could be stopped, and went to the Rio Grande where Sheridan distributed them up and down the river, much to the consternation of the troops in the quarter of Mexico bordering on that stream. This soon led to a request from France that we should withdraw our troops from the Rio Grande and to negotiations for the withdrawal of theirs. Finally, Bazin was withdrawn from Mexico by order of the French government. From that day the empire began to totter. Mexico was then able to maintain her independence without aid from us. France is the traditional ally and friend of the United States. I did not blame France for her part in the scheme to erect a monarchy upon the ruins of the Mexican Republic. That was the scheme of one man, an imitator, without genius or merit. He had succeeded in stealing the government of his country and made a change in its form against the wishes and instincts of his people. He tried to play the part of the first Napoleon without the ability to sustain that role. He sought by new conquest to add to his empire and his glory, but the signal failure of his scheme of conquest was a precursor of his own overthrow. Like our own war between the states, the Franco-Prussian War was an expensive one, but it was worth to France all it cost her people. It was the completion of the downfall of Napoleon Third. The beginning was when he landed troops on this continent. Failing here, the prestige of his name, all the prestige he ever had, was gone. He must achieve a success or fall. He tried to strike down his neighbor, Prussia, and fell. I never admired the character of the first Napoleon, but I recognized his great genius, 
his work too has left its impress for good on the face of europe the third napoleon could have no claim to having done a good or just act to maintain peace in the future it is necessary to be prepared for war there can scarcely be a possible chance of a conflict such as the last one occurring among our own people again but growing as we are in population wealth and military power we may become the envy of nations which led us in all these particulars only a few years ago and unless we are prepared for it we may be in danger of a combined movement being some day made to crush us out now scarcely twenty years after the war we seem to have forgotten the lessons it taught and are going on as if in the greatest security without the power to resist an invasion by the fleets of fourth-rate european powers for a time until we could prepare for them we should have a good navy and our sea-coast defences should be put in the finest possible condition neither of these cost much when it is considered where the money goes and what we get in return money expended in a fine navy not only adds to our security and tends to prevent war in the future but is very material aid to our commerce with foreign nations in the meantime money spent upon seacoast defences is spent among our own people and all goes back again among the people the work accomplished too like that of the navy gives us a feeling of security england's course towards the united states during the rebellion exasperated the people of this country very much against the mother country i regretted it england and the united states are natural allies and should be the best of friends they speak one language and are related by blood and other ties we together or even either separately are better qualified than any other people to establish commerce between all the nationalities of the world england governs her own colonies and particularly those embracing the people of different races from her own better than any other nation she is just to the conquered but rigid she makes them self-supporting but gives the benefit of labor to the laborer she does not seem to look upon the colonies as outside possessions which she is at liberty to work for the support and aggrandizement of the home government the hostility of england to the united states during our rebellion was not so much real as it was apparent it was the hostility of the leaders of one political party i am told that there was no time during the civil war when they were able to get up in england a demonstration in favor of secession while these were constantly being gotten up 
in favor of the Union, or, as they called it, in favor of the North. Even in Manchester, which suffered so fearfully by having the cotton cut off from her mills, they had a monster demonstration in favor of the North at the very time when their workmen were almost famishing. It is possible that the question of a conflict between races may come up in the future, as did that between freedom and slavery before. The condition of the colored man within our borders may become a source of anxiety, to say the least, but he was brought to our shores by compulsion, and he now should be considered as having as good a right to remain here as any other class of our citizens. It was looking to a settlement of this question that led me to urge the annexation of Santo Domingo during the time I was President of the United States. Santo Domingo was freely offered to us, not only by the administration, but by all the people, almost without price. The island is upon our shores, is very fertile, and is capable of supporting fifteen millions of people. The products of the soil are so valuable that labor in her fields would be so compensated as to enable those who wish to go there to quickly repay the cost of their passage. I took it that the colored people would go there in great numbers so as to have independent states governed by their own race. They would still be states of the Union and under the protection of the general government, but the citizens would be almost wholly colored. By the war with Mexico, we had acquired, as we have seen, territory almost equal in extent to that we already possessed. It was seen that the volunteers of the Mexican War largely composed the pioneers to settle up the Pacific Coast country. Their numbers, however, were scarcely sufficient to be a nucleus for the population of the important points of the territory acquired by that war. After our rebellion, when so many young men were at liberty to return to their homes, they found they were not satisfied with the farm, the store, or the workshop of the villages, but wanted larger fields. The mines of the mountains first attracted them, but afterwards they found that rich valleys and productive grazing and farming lands were there. This territory, the geography of which was not known to us at the close of the rebellion, is now as well mapped as any portion of our country. Railroads traverse it in every direction, north, south, east, and west. The mines are worked, the high lands are used for grazing purposes, and rich agricultural lands are found in many of the valleys. This is the work of the volunteer. It is probably that the Indians would have had control of these lands for a century yet, but for the war. We must conclude, therefore, that wars are not always evils unmixed with some good. 
Prior to the rebellion, the great mass of the people were satisfied to remain near the scenes of their birth. In fact, an immense majority of the whole people did not feel secure against coming to want should they move among entire strangers. So much was the country divided into small communities that localized idioms had grown up so that you could almost tell what section a person was from by hearing him speak. Before new territories were settled by a class people who shunned contact with others, people who, when the country began to settle up around them, would push out farther from civilization. Their guns furnished meat, and the cultivation of a very limited amount of the soil their bread and vegetables. All the streams abounded with fish. Trapping would furnish pelts to be brought into the states once a year to pay for necessary articles which they could not raise, powder, lead, whiskey, tobacco, and some store goods. Occasionally some little articles of luxury would enter into these purchases, a quarter of a pound of tea, two or three pounds of coffee, more of sugar, some playing cards, and if anything was left over of the proceeds of the sale, more whiskey. Little was known of the topography of the country beyond the settlements of these frontiersmen. This is all changed now. The war begot a spirit of independence and enterprise. The feeling now is that a youth must cut loose from his old surroundings to enable him to get up in the world. There is now such a commingling of the people that particular idioms and pronunciation are no longer localized to any great extent. The country has filled up from the center all around to the sea. Railroads connect the two oceans and all parts of the interior, maps nearly perfect of every part of the country, are now furnished the student of geography. The war has made us a nation of great power and intelligence. We have but little to do to preserve peace, happiness, and prosperity at home, and the respect of other nations. Our experience ought to teach us the necessity of the first, our power secures the latter. I feel that we are on the eve of a new era, when there is to be great harmony between the Federal and Confederate. I cannot stay to be a living witness to the correctness of this prophecy, but I feel it within me that it is to be so. The universally kind feeling expressed for me at a time when it was supposed that each day would prove my last, seemed to me the beginning of the answer to, Let us have peace. The expression of these kindly feelings were not restricted to a section of the country, nor to a division of the people. They came from individual citizens of all nationalities, from all denominations, the Protestant, the Catholic, and the Jew and from the various societies of the land, scientific, educational, religious, or otherwise. 
politics did not enter into the matter at all. I am not egotist enough to suppose all this significance should be given because I was the object of it. But the war between the states was a very bloody and a very costly war. One side or the other had to yield principles they deemed dearer than life before it could be brought to an end. I commanded the whole of the mighty host engaged on the victorious side. I was, no matter whether deservedly so or not, a representative of that side of the controversy. It is a significant and gratifying fact that Confederates should have joined heartily in this spontaneous move. I hope the good feeling inaugurated may continue to the end. End of section 71. Recording by Jim Clevenger, Little Rock, Arkansas. Jim at jocclev.com.